let me share an experience that I often have. It's the experience of being at a restaurant that everyone's recommended I haven't been to yet. And the menu is too daggum large for me to choose. There's so many options. It's like, what do I get, the number 58 or the number 172? <laughs> Thanks a lot, the noodle. <laughs> Apparently it's all good. And I see all these menus, and it's like, ah, do I want the green curry? I love green curry. Or do I get the whatever the else thing is? Um, and I'm overwhelmed by all the choices, and here's the way I cope with that, with that experience. The way I cope with that experience is I'm like, you know what? Let everyone else go first. You go, I'll, I'll go last. Magnanimous on the outside, selfish on the inside. Because here's my fear. I'm going to choose the wrong dish. I'm going to have a less than satisfying experience than everyone else at the table. And so I sit there while I'm waiting to order. I'm like, oh, look at that dish coming out. That looks good. But look at that dish coming out. That looks good. And oh, can I have a sample of that? And oh, you know. Heaven save whatever waiter um, chooses to serve me. Um, Our hunger for food is strong, but our hunger for connection is stronger still. And we can treat people the same way we treat the menu. We can treat even looking for a faith community the same way we look at a large menu at a restaurant. Scanning the menu for the best options, the most satisfying ones, the ones that will hit the spot just right. And as we scan, we feel restless. We feel restless when we look at the menu. At the restaurant, we feel restless as we interact with people, choosing our friends and choosing our communities, choosing our romances. We feel that there are many options, but if we don't, if, if we don't get the right one, we're going to be less than satisfied. We're having a conversation with someone, and it's kind of boring. And we're like, ah, maybe you're not kind of the friend or connection. We're not really clicking. So we, as in modern parlance, swipe left. Swipe left. I'm done with you. You're not interesting. You're not attractive. You're not, you're not really doing it for me. Swipe left. Next person. Maybe they'll be more satisfying. Next church. Maybe they'll be more satisfying. Maybe they'll hit my preferences a little better. Next romance. This other person looks more exciting. Um, There's a new book out called Modern Romance by an author named Aziz Ansari. He's a comedian. Uh, You may know him as Randy. Um, uh, You may know him from Parks and Recreation, but he teamed up with a sociologist to look at modern romance practices, and this is exactly what he found. There are so many options that people are paralyzed. And he talks about how you have to confirm and reconfirm and then reconfirm again that you're actually going to meet someone for dinner or for coffee because most of the time they're flaking out because they're swiping left and finding someone else is a little bit more dazzling. And so what he's found is that modern romance, though we, we have so much access to it through our phones, through technology, and through growing urbanization, we actually have less access to it because so few people are willing to stop swiping left when they get bored. Keeping our options open shuts down our connections. Keeping our options open all the time will shut down our connections. And that's just the truth of how things work. It's like taking, a, taking an uprooted plant, placing it on the soil. If nothing happens after a few minutes, you pick it up and place it on another pot of soil. 
and then nothing else, it's not really clicking. So we'll place it on another pot of soil. That one looks promising, nice and rich and peaty soil. How about this soil? Keeping our options open shuts down our connections. We're always sampling but never feasting. We're ever evaluating people but never taking delight in them. We're more committed to the menu options than we are to the food that it represents. Every person, hear me out, every person and every community and every romance will eventually become boring. No matter how much they dazzle or sizzle when you first meet them or experience them, Every person in every church has flaws and imperfections, no matter how complete or mysterious or well-rounded they seem at first or from the outside. And given the options we have with our relationships, we are tempted to swipe left when we get bored or when we see imperfections. Swipe left, I'm bored by you, I want something else, someone else. And if we never allow ourselves friends, to experience boredom or dissatisfaction with people, we'll never get close to anybody, and we will never feel the connection that we most long for. Keeping our options open shuts down relationships, shuts down our connections. When we are more committed to our choices of people than to real people, we'll never know the kind of deep communion we long for with other people. Keeping our options open shuts down our connections. But there is a better way, right? There's a better strategy than repotting the plant all the time. And that new strategy is to dig in, to plant, to develop roots, to wait out the winter, and to blossom in time. There's an, uh, the early church experienced this reality that is available to us. Luke, the historian who chronicled the events we will study this morning, is trying to help us understand this reality and live into it. Even, even the book, uh, Modern Romance, uh, Ansari's book, he talks about this reality that we're going to see in Acts 2. He admits it. But he doesn't quote from the book of Acts. Um, both historians of the early church and contemporary sociologists and psychologists know the same thing, that satisfying communion doesn't come from unlimited options or perfectly met preferences. I'll say it again. Satisfying communion does not come from unlimited options or perfectly met preferences. Satisfying communion comes after we have surrendered our commitment to our options and our preferences after we have surrendered our options and our preferences. And friends, we love our options. We love our options, let's just admit it. We love our choices, we love our freedom. We love the fact that we do have the power to swipe left. Giving up that power is so hard, but it's on the other side of giving up that power that we receive the kind of satisfaction that we long for. I invite you to look with me at history at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It is here in Acts that we're going to see something revolutionary. Don't miss this. And if you're going to write anything down, I invite you to write this down. It's in Acts that we're going to see that God creates a unity we cannot imagine within a family we did not choose. God creates a unity we could never have imagined within a family we did not choose. 
We did not select. We did not choose. But there's a unity within that family that we could never imagine. Let's start with the act of creation. On the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, uh, Acts 2 tells us that, that those who received the word of the gospel were baptized and they were added to a group of 120 people, 3,000 people, from what it says, every nation known under heaven, which is shorthand for all over the Roman Empire. And I'll list the Medes and Elamites, and I don't know where Elamites are from. I admit that. But it sounds exotic. <laughs> and Mesopotamia and Judea and Asia and Egypt and Libya and Rome and, and Cretans. That's what's made up the 3,000 people. Consider what God has created. He's created something surprising, something new, something not calibrated to, to consumer preferences. A church of over 3,000 people in a day uh, made up of people from warring countries within the Roman Empire, P countries that were fighting each other over resources, perhaps bad family blood going back for centuries. And they're now in the same family. They just met each other, and now they're supposed to share their lives together. These all are Jewish people scattered throughout the Roman Empire, but they'll soon be welcoming in people they never thought would be part of church, which is Gentiles from all over the Roman Empire, who bring with them unfamiliar customs and eating practices and don't know anything about Jewish heritage at all, don't know anything about the synagogue, don't know anything about the prayers. They've lived a totally different life. It's going to be more awkward, and they're going to have to have a council to figure out how to go about being a family. What's more, this family is swearing allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord, which will upset both Jewish authorities and non-Jewish authorities. They, they lived with scandal. They lived with, with, uh, with a controversial mark upon them because they were not swearing that Caesar was Lord. They were they saying that Jesus was Lord of history and that they were living under his lordship. God has created, think about this, a family out of natural strangers, and he said, love one another. Not just be nice to one another, but love one another. Sacrifice your life, perhaps even die for one another. Can you imagine doing that with someone that you've just met? Consider that God has created a family that crosses ethnic and social and economic and cultural barriers. And we pray that he will do that today still. Consider that God has created a family where all are sacrificing their preferences. Everyone is sacrificing their preferences. And everyone is sacrificing to a certain extent their safety in this text to worship with one another. This family was born by the loving creativity of God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit working together, sacrificing together, strategizing together to create a kingdom of God, create his kingdom with a diverse family, a beautiful family. Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus spilled his own blood, his own human divine blood was spilled on the cross to create this family, to cross ethnic barriers, to cross socioeconomic barriers, to cross cultural barriers, to be one family. This is something that God created. And it's a unity we cannot imagine. Um, but we're going to try. Let's read verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Stop there. Let's talk about the spiritual unity. A spiritual unity, which is very important. These are common practices. They were devoting themselves to common practices um, that God had called them to, and they were earnestly devoting themselves to these shared practices. Though they came from different backgrounds, they united around a few certain things. They united around the apostles' teaching, which was hearing and absorbing holy scriptures through the teaching of the apostles. They united themselves around fellowship, which is encouraging one another with God's life-giving truth. They were speaking life and ministering to one another. And incidentally, I want you to be able to do this as a church. My job is to equip you to speak God's loving, life-giving truth to one another in a way that will build each other up, not in a preachy way, not in a way that would discourage, but in a way that would, that would bring out the image of God in each other. That's what fellowship is. And then it says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is the celebration of the Eucharist, around which we devote ourselves today and every Sunday. Yes, they were breaking bread in their homes, we'll see that. But uh, their home tables were an expression of God's table. Their, their tables around which they ate lunch, dinner, breakfast, and many other things in the Roman Empire was an expression of God's hospitality, of God hosting us at his table. And they devoted themselves and came every week for this meal, for sustenance, for life, to remember and to look forward to what God was and is doing and will do. Finally, they devoted themselves to the prayers. And this is a shorthand reference to the liturgy, which we practice today. It reflects theirs. We intercede to God and we commune with God with the words of the liturgy, the ancient words of the church, as well as with our own prayers that come extemporaneously from our own souls. And we do this every Sunday, and we do it throughout the week. We even do it, m many of you were, were, were gathering for the prayers and devoting yourselves to these prayers Friday night in, in Uptown for years and years, coming together around the simple practice of evening prayer as outlined in the Book of Common Prayer, devoting yourselves, and around that came a unity that you could not imagine. And I thank you for it. I thank you for laying the foundation and sowing seeds that eventually strengthened this church plant. Thank you. Thank you for devoting yourselves to prayers. So there was a spiritual unity. And what's interesting is that verse 42 reflects the practices they devoted themselves to. And then verse 43 reflects the fruit of that, the response of God to that. It says, And awe came upon every soul. Awe for God, reverence for God, a delight in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It came upon every soul. It encouraged them. It built them up. It satisfied them. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So God speaks back and encourages them. God brought them into existence. They devoted themselves to God through the breaking of bread, the prayers, the apostles' teaching. And then God speaks back and ministers among them in ways that built up their faith. And when we come together, we do so in faith that God will do that very thing in our midst. That God will do that in all kinds of ways in our small groups and in our Sunday gatherings. The Holy Trinity shows up and brings life and brings spiritual unity. Okay? So there's spiritual unity, but there's also practical unity. Look with me in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed 
were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is not a complete divesture of personal property, as we'll see even later in the book of Acts. There are people with homes. There are people with, with, uh, with, with money. There are people with, with resources to help the church grow. Um, but it was a deeply sacrificial new way of living that was renouncing some things that were private property for the sake of, of the other, for the sake of other people's flourishing, for the sake of unity. It is mikasa sukasa living. It is, yes, you can borrow my car, and please come over for dinner. And, 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 and in our context, I think, actually, the, the harder thing for us to give up is our time. Yeah, money is hard to give up, but our time is so precious. Our schedules are so precious. I mean, we'll go crazy advocating for one another on our social media posts, but what about our schedules? Would we open up our schedules for one another? Walls of privacy and independence come down so that they can be family, and they were family. And then there's a family we did not choose. So God creates a unity we cannot imagine with a family we did not choose. And I'll tell you what, I, I know some of you, I don't know others of you, but I do know that you didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your siblings if you had siblings. You didn't choose your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents. You didn't choose your family. But so often we want to be able to choose our family. We want to be able to pick and choose who we share our experiences with, who we share our life with. Yes, there's a measure of agency in this, and that's, that's needed. We need to have boundaries and be selective. But at some point, we receive the family that God gives us, and we embrace them without expectations of perfection. We will share meals, experiences, and conversations just like any healthy family would share meals, experiences, and conversations, shared life. The early church shared in each other's victories and defeats. They shared in each other's glory and they shared in each other's shame and suffering. Over time, as that plant sits in the ground and is watered and is rooted and doesn't move, there's a richness that develops, there's a rootedness that develops. This past fall and spring, we had a men's group that practiced Lectio Divina together. Lectio Divina is an ancient Christian practice where we encounter God in the scriptures as we pray the scriptures in a meditative way. We also told stories from our life. And um, we gathered on Wednesday nights and we just sat in the same room for a couple of hours. And you know, I remember a few different times when we were practicing Lectio Divina and we're just sitting in a circle of... I don't know, 15 guys, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, who didn't really know one another before we joined this group. We didn't choose one another. We just joined the group. And But so often, we were just a bunch of dudes in the same room, breathing silently, kind of not silently, next to each other. <laughs> just waiting on God. It was, I mean, from the outside looking in, and be like, what are you doing? This is boring. We're just like, <sighs> praying. Devoting ourselves to God and each other. Sharing the same room together. But over time, God created a real bond among us. All coming from different places, all having different experiences, all in different life stages. But, but the bond is still there. We've, we, we answered the call to devote ourselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and awe, simple but true awe came upon us and, and a unity came upon us. We were a family that we did not choose. We were a family that we simply received. We are called, church, to be a family. And some of you are deciding where you go to church. There's absolute freedom for that, as I said before. And if the Lord calls you to Emmanuel, and for those of you for whom you know the Lord has called you to be a part of Emmanuel, the Lord has called us to go from restlessness in our relationships, where we're swiping left until we hit our preference peak, um, to, to rootedness in our relationships, to embrace the boring imperfections, to embrace the irritations and the weariness even of being a family in relationship with one another. Imagine if we went from restlessness in our relationships to richness in our family life together. Imagine the unity that would be created among us. We'd have stories down the road of awkward silences in conversation that turned into friendships across racial and cultural lines. We could talk about singles and families mingling with one another, sharing each other's spaces, young and old supporting one another and being united with one another. People all of a sudden who had been helping the community all of a sudden are in need, from, uh, in need in help from the community. Imagine the stories that we would have if we devoted ourselves to the things that they devoted themselves to, not only each other, but to God and to spiritual unity. Our crippling commitment to keep our options open could give way to, a, uh, to living in the family that we have, enjoying a unity that we could never imagine. We could be an outpost of hope, an outpost of hope with an open door to anyone who, who feels lost and restless, constantly swiping left, feeling rootless and disconnected. We could be their point of connection, even if it's only for a few weeks while they're in the city or whether it's for the rest of their life. Uptown can look upon us. Chicago can look upon us and, and, and ask the question, how can this be? Where did this unity come from? Why are you friends? Why are you hanging out together? Why are you sharing a table at the noodle? Why are you hosting that person? What's going on here? What's the story? And then we share the hope that we have. We share the story that's real and true and historical, that, of which we are only a part. And yet we are a part, a living part. We are called to be this family. And I encourage you this morning to, to, to imagine what the Lord could do among us. Because God creates a unity that we never before imagined out of a family we did not choose. And everyone here, everyone here is invited to be a part of that family. Let me pray for us. Father, you brought birth to this family and you brought birth to the family here in Uptown, in Chicago. Would you continue to send your Holy Spirit to give us power we need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we pray that awe would come upon every soul. And we pray for the wonders and signs that would build up our faith. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to praise you and have favor with all the people. We do pray for favor, and we add that you would we ask that you would add to our number day by day those who are being saved. In the name of the Father, 
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.